0: now I've got
1: a little Hel- red thing there we go, hello
0: everybody <laughs> this is Ann Angela Webb this is the Animal Intuitive Show we had a little bit of a tech issue there but I think we've got it now um, I'm here with Dr. Temple Grandin and this is, as I said the Animal Intuitive Show Come on all you doggies not you walk with me I'm the puppet, 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 puppet. Yeah, we were streaming in in a a different live um, URL, but now we're in the right one. I clicked the wrong button, but we're here, we're good now. I think we're on the right one. Okay, so Dr. Grandin is (laughs) an innovator, an author, a speaker in the worlds of animal behavior and handling and autism activism. We're gonna be discussing her ability to think like the animals, as well as Dr. Grannon's latest book with psychologist, that she wrote with psychologist Deborah Moore, Navigating Autism, Nine Mindsets for Helping Kids on the Spectrum. And uh, Dr. Grannon is currently a Colorado State University professor of animal sciences and renowned animal behaviorist. And um, because of that, we're also gonna be talking about her background working with animals and in the animal livestock industry. And on a personal note, her groundbreaking book, Animals in Translation, was a big influence early on in my professional animal communication career and has continued to influence me. So if you're here in the chat, um, you know, just letting you know, you can ask questions of Dr. Grandin. She's been humble and kind enough and, uh, you know, to do that and, and to be here to answer questions. I know we sort of have a a varied audience tonight. We have people coming who are here for the animal side of things, then we have people who are here for the interest in the autism side of things, and then we have people here for both. So I'm definitely here for both. I'm interested um, to hear everything you have to say. So uh, Dr. Grandin, welcome.
1: (laughs) It's It's great to be here.
0: Thank you. Um, okay, so let's get started because I know you don't. You have a, a deadline. You have a plane to catch in the morning. So, um, Dr. Grandin, you have a recent book out. I'm going to start. I have to start somewhere. So I'm going to start with the recent book and her um, focus on autism. So if you could just tell us a little bit about this most recent book and what made you put this book out now. You've written so many Books. So, what?
1: I have my my uh, autobiography. i thinking in pictures. Uh, but one of the reasons for this book is I'm getting very concerned that a lot of kids are getting so locked into the label uh, that they're not having all their abilities, um, you know, being utilized. Uh, Deborah Moore calls this label locking, and she emphasizes the importance of looking at the whole child. Um, i worked with a lot of people out in construction that were really good at designing equipment that were either autistic, dyslexic, or ADHD, and they took welding in school, and then they started inventing things, not having patents, and then you got Silicon Valley, and a lot of those programmers are probably autistic, but I'm seeing too many kids um, get an autism label, and they're not getting exposed to enough different things to find out what they're good at. For me, it was drawing. For another child, it might be music. For another kid, it might be mathematics. Maybe the child needs to be moved into higher mathematics. Um, I think it's a real problem if kids don't get exposed to things. I got interested in cattle because I got exposed to them when I was a teenager. When you look at where people go in successful careers, there's two things, exposure and then later on, mentoring. I had a great science teacher because I was a bad student. Mm -hmm. And he got (laughs) me interested in studying to get to a goal there were some good people out in the industry that saw some of my drawings and seeked me out to um, design facilities. And they served as mentors on just basic stuff like getting my business started. You know, there's just basic things like that that have to be done. Okay. And I want the uh, kids to get out and uh, be everything that can be. Autism varies from someone who cannot dress themselves to Elon Musk. Elon Musk is autistic. Um, I've always thought so. I had this bookmarked up years ago um, where I thought he was autistic, but now he's announced it publicly. Einstein would land in an autism class today. Okay. will no speech until age 3. See, this is, this is the, the problem. And I want to get kids out doing it. Yeah. Another book that came up with The Outdoor Scientist. Get kids out doing things. And one of the a project, Observing Animals. Okay, uh, and observing, okay, what does a squirrel do to bury a nut? You know, during the lockdown, that was one of the things I did. And he'll dig a hole and then try it quite a few times to make sure it's deep enough and then it'll cover. Very neat. But just get kids observing right. things like that. Get them outside and we've got to get these kids off to the games. Because I'm seeing a lot of kids with an autism label ending up in the basement playing video games, not learning how to work. And out in industry, oh, I can tell you, visual thinkers, um, you know, they're out there to keep the power plant running.
0: We need them. Yeah, in general, it seems like it would be good if kids were out more, not even just in the autism community, but... Well,
1: well, that's right. The thing is, I think it hurts the autism kids more than some of the other kids. Sure, yeah. Um, Another thing I talk about all the time is different kinds of thinking. I'm an extreme visual thinker. And that helped me in my work now some of the very first work I ever did with cattle was to get down in the chutes where they went up to be vaccinated
2: mm-hmm. and
1: I noticed they'd walk at a shower. They'd stop at a shower. They'd stop at a coat on fence. So I took a camera and got down inside the shoot, and took pictures of it. And a lot of people thought that was pretty weird. But at the time that I was doing it, when I was in my 20s, I didn't know that other people, a lot of them think in words. I thought everybody thought in pictures the same way I think. Now when it comes to people with autism, some are visual thinkers like me, object visualizers, some are mathematical thinkers, which are pattern thinkers, and there's some that are word thinkers. These are often the kids that love history and they love facts. And you gotta take that thing they're interested in and expand it. I mean, I would just draw the same horse head over and over again, and mother said, well, let's draw the whole horse, let's draw the stable. Mm -hmm. You gotta take
0: that interest and, and broaden it and expand it. Um, One of the things that I I was thinking about when I was, um, well, I was listening to your book because I was listening to it on Audible, but um, was, well, I'm a licensed clinical social worker and I actually used to do some work with kids in autism, but also in mental health. But in general was like the whole concept of the system of care. And you were talking about starting with the diagnosis. um, And I was just wondering if we, if you could just tell us, what do you think um, is most important to say to parents whose kids are going through that and the parents are going through that um, process or maybe they've just started it? Um, well, there's
1: kind of two ways to get diagnosed. You get the early intervention kits, which would be many. No speech at age two, no speech at age three. It's obviously something's wrong with the kid. And uh, they get an autism diagnosis. I was that tough. Then you get where there's no speech delay and has no friends when he's maybe a, uh, 12 years old, eight years old, and gets an autism diagnosis. Now, I want to emphasize autism diagnosis is a behavioral profile. It is not precise like a COVID delta variant. Now there's a sub-variant of delta where they can tell you very specifically with a lab test engine exactly what you've got. Autism, you have certain characteristics um, and you get an autism diagnosis. You know, when does slightly nerdy and not that social become autism? There's no black and white dividing line. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: The big problem I'm seeing now is we're doing a better job with the early intervention. Mm I, you know, start working with these kids really young. I was in early intervention by two and a half. Where we're having problems is the transition period. You may have a fully verbal kid and then they've not learned any working skills. And I have granddads come up to me all the time that discover they're autistic when their kids get diagnosed.
2: Mm-hmm. But that
1: grandfather, maybe an accountant, an engineer or or some other job, and a paper route when he was eleven. So he learned how to work. So what we need to be doing is finding substitutes for paper routes, you know, like a volunteer job at a community center. Something where it's on a schedule outside the home where somebody else is the boss. I'm seeing too many kids today where they're not learning things like shopping, handling money. Things I was doing in elementary school—you
2: got mm. teenagers
1: going in a store and just buying something. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Learning how to talk to the staff in the store. Just really, really basic stuff. This is an example of Deborah Moore in navigating autism, who calls label locking, where they just don't see the kid; they just see the label.
0: Okay. Yeah, I think and, some of and, us are forgetting how to go in a store. As, well, anyway, really so really like... for the autistic kids, when
1: seeing parents that can't let go, mm-hmm. when I just suggest, have a kid run in the store and buy a loaf of bread. You
0: mm-hmm. know, and you're
1: right outside that door. I mean, mm-hmm. start off with baby steps. Right. And okay. learning cool. the most basic, basic things. Because when I got out working with the big meat plants, I worked with welding guys that had big shops that were selling equipment around the world that were stutterers, autistic, dyslexic, and they'd taken a single welding class. Uh, and then I go to an autism meeting, and here's a 10-year-old addicted to video games. And they've never had a chance to do any hands-on things. Welding's not for everybody,
2: mm-hmm. but you
1: don't know it. you try it. Right. But the visual like, we're good with animals, we're good with art, we're good with mechanical things, anything mechanical, figuring out mechanical things. The mathematical minds, engineering, um, computer programming, physics, chemistry, uh, and then the word thinkers, of course, are good with words. Writing is something they'd be very good at. Um, but as I go back and forth between the autism world and the uh, world of industry, um, they they just get into the label and they they take the welding class out and the theater out, the music out. Then the kid doesn't um, have a chance to have an opportunity to find out what he might be good at or she
0: might be good at. Right. It is an honor to have Dr. Grandin here. I was, I have to tell you, I was thrilled that she accepted uh, my invitation. Um, You know, as you were talking about the great grandparent who was uh, talking about how they think, you know, that they were autistic and, you know, are there a lot of people you're finding that are looking back on their lives now and saying, I think I was autistic. And it seems like it's a lot more widespread than we would have thought. Well, I
1: think there's some reasons for this. One of the things is social skills are not taught to children in the structured way they were taught in the fifties. where kids were taught to shake hands. Okay, we all be sitting at the dining room table, you know, it's family style, and if I reached across the table and grabbed the serving dish and mashed potatoes, my mother didn't scream, no. She'd say, ask your sister to pass it. She'd give the instruction. I call that teachable moments. Okay. okay, we're in the store and touching too much stuff. She'd say, "Only oh, touch the things you're going to buy." To giving the instruction, and that's not done done as much today. Also, there were a lot of kids that excelled. I mean, my other kid that excels in music, but if you don't have a music class and musical instruments, how would you know that the kid was good at music? Mm-hmm. I was playing musical instruments, but I tried them. You see, and then you try different things, and when it came to theater. I could care less about acting in a play, but I loved making scenery and costumes. Okay. That's something that can turn into a career. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Definitely. Um, When they, when the adults realize, looking back, that they've been, that they were, that they've been autistic, do you find that there's, um, I don't know, relief at finally knowing what, has been going on their whole lives? Are they upset?
1: Yeah. Yes, so. there is. Um, you see, there's kind of two things. You ought, the diagnosis in a kid that's fully verbal, a young kid, I think sometimes it holds them back. But where the diagnosis is helpful, and I understand you're a counselor, is is understanding why their marriages or their relationships are a complete mess. And by the mm-hmm. way, another book I edited. This is 18 people diagnosed later in life.
2: Oh.
1: they were autistic, and it gave them a lot of insight into why they had marital problems okay. or relationship problems. And that was a relief to them. It was almost a relief. Yeah. I had a lady walk up to me at Denver airport one time, and she was talking about my book, Thinking in Pictures. And mm-hmm. she said, your book saved our marriage. I now understand my engineer husband. Oh, wow. Who was probably mildly on the
2: spectrum.
0: Yeah. I'm sure that happens all the time. I'm sure there's so many people that are all of a sudden the light kind of is shown and they understand what's been going on all of a sudden when they
1: well it's such a broad yeah. spectrum you see you're going from ellen musk mm-hmm. to uh, uh somebody who can't dress themselves bullying in school i was bullied in school Elon musk was shoved down the stairs and had his face smashed in mm. horribly bullied had to have surgery to correct that Wow. And, yes. and the only places that i was not bullied when i was a teenager was friends who shared interests I want to really emphasize that. Okay. I have friends plus background. Friends with Model Rocket Club and friends with electronic.
0: Like that's where oh. they're going to get friends. Okay. That's, where we get, that's where they get friends. Um, I'm wondering, too, if you've noticed anything, um, or if you have anything you could kind of speak to about women who've, who have. Had you know been on who are on the spectrum and didn't know and if it's different um, growing up, it, it I just kind of well, get the well, sense women don't know as, as easily.
1: Well, one of the problems with women is getting into abusive relationships. That's mm. been a big problem. Okay. Uh, and, you know they really want to have a relationship and and they don't know how to get out of abusive relationships and that can be a big problem. Now the thing that's made my life uh, worthwhile is having an interesting career. I just got an email recently from a parent where they took some of my advice. Uh, The doctors had told them that the kids should just go to an institution and now the kids in college are doing well. They've read some of my books and some of my information and that
0: makes me really happy. That's wonderful. That's terrific. yeah, this was something that will definitely, somebody's bringing up fascinated by the um, the machine that you constructed to feel a hug, yes. That's- uh...
1: Well, that was I got that idea from a cattle shoot at the, yeah. at the next door neighbor's ranch near my aunts. They were putting the cattle in that for their vaccinations. And uh, I was always a pressure seeker. I used to get under sofa cushions, get my sister to sit on them. I liked to wrap myself up really tight in blankets. And so I built this machine that similar to cattle sheep
2: mm-hmm.
1: to apply pressure. And one of the things on sensory problems is that really is helpful is if the person can control it, like loud sounds, for example, like a car horn, let the child turn it on and off, the vacuum cleaner, let the child turn it off, on and off. And if they can control it, then sometimes they can get to tolerate it. And then when I made the squeezing machine air operate, see, I can control it. Because when I was young, I couldn't stand being hugged. But then when I
0: had where I could control it, then I got desensitized. Okay, so like almost practice? Like let them practice? Well, what it
1: does is it reduces the startle response. Okay. You know, I have an excessive startle response. Like a school bell would go off and I would just jump and it felt like a dentist drill hitting a nerve. Well, the best way to, what should have been done is take me down to the principal's office when the school's closed, and let me just turn it on and off, turn it on and off. Where I mm-hmm. control it, and there's been some successes where that um, enabled the child to tolerate a buzzer on a scoreboard, for example, in the
0: gym. Okay, that's helpful. Very good to know. So maybe that's something people could um, talk to their schools about um, to help their kids. Um, well, I've,
1: told, I've got in thinking in my in my thinking in pictures book. I've got a new edition that's just come out. The new afterward, where I talk about a lot of these things. Okay. Because I go back and forth between the worlds: between the autism world, the industry. I do a lot of talks at businesses, and the amount of employees I see at businesses in mechanics, art, animals, um, and then of course computer science. I mean, half the programmers in Silicon Valley probably have at least you know mild autism. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing that same kid show up at a meeting, you know, 10 years junior, addicted to video games, and has never gone shopping by himself. Right. Because you're getting too overprotected. What you got to do with these kids is stretch them. Don't throw them into, the, into something they can't tolerate. My first job, I'll tell you, it should not be. Super crazy takeout window with a lot of testing. That should not be. Like okay. today, just, I went into a really nice auto parts store and got new windshield wipers It was so nice. I came out and put them on my car. The place is really calm. And that's the kind of store where an autistic person would be very successful. It's quiet. You've got one uh, customer at a time. And then the person memorizes every part in the store. They're going to love
0: them. Okay. You um, see, and,
1: I, mm-hmm. and now it's a visual thinker. When I'm thinking about the jobs, I'm now seeing that store right now. I was just in it this morning.
0: Okay. So, um, thinking about that with the whole concept of being a visual visual thinker and you know that really being what helped you so much to help animals and help to make the cattle industry more humane um you know i'm wondering if we could talk a little bit about that and you know i'm an animal communicator so i know that you say that you don't communicate with animals telepathically like like someone like me does you do it in a different way because of your well
1: basically basically an animal doesn't think in verbal and there's been a lot of discussions about animal consciousness now i'm learning more and more about how the verbal thinker works and it's in, in a way, to me, it's almost more alien to me than the uh, mathematical mind, even though I'm not good at doing higher mathematics. I'm terrible at that. But they, theres I can't believe there's still discussion with some people thinking that animals aren't conscious. But the more I learn about the verbal thinker, I think it's very hard for some verbal thinkers to imagine how you can have thought that's sensory based rather than verbal based. You see, mm-hmm. as a visual thinker, it's easy for me also to imagine how the dog would, you know, think in smells, think in sounds. It's a sensory based world. And to me, it's totally obvious. Of course they're conscious. But I think some of this discussion gets down to verbal thinking versus sensory based thinking. And I'm finding that in problem solving, the way verbal thinkers solve problems and the way visual thinkers and mathematical thinkers solve problems is very different. A verbal thinking is very top-down. You have know, a big theory, a big hypothesis, and you try to fit all the data into it. My kind of mind, and also a mathematical mind, takes specific examples, puts them like into boxes on a spreadsheet. All right, let's take something like jobs. Bad jobs. Chaotic store at Christmas time. McDonald's super busy takeout window. Good jobs. The auto parts store. An office supply store. Ice cream shops and movie theaters; those are all jobs where people have been very successful in. Okay. And then, of course, computer programming for the mathematicians. But I'm thinking more about beginner jobs that you would do in high school.
0: Okay. Um, oh, and welcome to everybody. Thank you so much, everybody who's in the chat. By the way, I want to say hi to everyone who's here. And we have some people from other, you know, Matt's here from, um, I think, England and. Some people from other places overseas. So, just welcome to everybody. Thank you for being here. I am um, trying to put. For some reason, I can't put. Um, ah, it's going to switch this. One second, I'm going to reset. Ah, I'm. Hold on. I know. I know. Well, it, I my husband's looking at, I'm, I'm, I'm trying, trying to stay
1: pretty. very still. Because okay. we, uh, there's some <laughs> bandwidth issues, right? We're on a on at a time where the neighbors
0: are using internet connection. Oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to not move in order to. That makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So if you could talk to us about, I I was curious about this because you have a scene in the movie where um, we see, we see how you, relate to Chester, the horse, you know that Chester needs to be hugged. Um, how did you know that Chester needed to be hugged?
1: Well, they, they, that thing, that, that scene was exaggerated with crazy horse. Now let's talk about the stuff in the movie that really is correct. Okay. The stuff that's really correct is it shows visual thinking. It shows how visual thinking works. The things I built are correct. I actually did those projects. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, there's some stuff that horse was exaggerated. I mean, there's no one near as well as that. Okay. But (laughs) I I like the fact that it showed visual thinking and how it works. It showed sensory problems in autism. Also, being a woman in the early 70s, in in man's industry, was a much bigger barrier than autism ever was. I Um. actually did get blue testicles put on my vehicle. And Mm. where I got most of the problem was middle management. Okay. It was not the owners of the feedlots. It, it was not the, the, the people working, you know, the, you know, just actually handling the cattle. It was the performance. That's where almost all of my trouble was.
0: Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, yeah. What well, seemed... I did
1: is I recognized, and there's a scene in there where I get the editor's card.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. I knew
1: if I wrote that magazine, that would help my career. That scene is real. And it's actually very important because I saw that doorway to opportunity mm-hmm. and a lot of people don't see doorways to opportunity.
0: That's very interesting um, because why do you think that you were able to see that? Like what, you know, sometimes you might think if somebody is on the spectrum that maybe they're not going to recognize those opportunities. So what do you think it was about you that you were able to see those?
1: Well, also, um, you know, a lot of people wouldn't have the guts to go up and get the card. And one of the things that helped me was a social skills training thing. that All the children in my generation did in my neighborhood. When the kids were seven and eight, the parents had a party. We had to put our good clothes on, greet the guests, shake hands with them, serve the snacks, okay. and learn how to how to talk to people politely. Okay. And my brother's who's not autistic. So
0: he hated those parties, but
2: he admitted
0: that they helped him advance in his career in banking. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I was curious because you know you're watching a movie like that, and you do wonder what what parts of it are real, what parts of it aren't real. And it did seem like you faced quite a bit of a lot a lot of challenges. And I was wondering, um, did you have to sneak in and pretend that you were a man?
1: Well, I snuck into some places. Um, the place that snuck in actually was like 20 years, was a, further in the future. But I did sneak into some places. Uh, and and the scene in there where they put that metal plate in there and killed those channels, that actually did happen. It did. Oh,
0: yeah, that happened. Horrible.
1: That that And really I was just furious about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that was another foreman who did that. Um, that was awful. And they showed my science teacher really nicely. They also showed a movie that I, that I got interested in when I was in high school about optical illusions. They actually showed a clip from a movie I saw in high school science class. Mm-hmm. And I made the optical illusion wrong. And they weren't going to show me how to make it. They wanted me to figure it out for myself. Kids aren't figuring out enough stuff by themselves. Yeah. And they always
0: wanted me to figure things out. Okay. Um. So, well, okay, so back to, so wondering with with Chester, even though, so that was a little exaggerated. Um, and if everyone, if anyone isn't familiar, there's a movie, it's, it's, I guess it's called Temple Grandin or called Temple? It's called Temple Grandin.
1: Temple? It's available on Amazon Prime yeah. and some of the other platforms.
0: Yeah, and it's a great movie. You can rent it.
1: I really like the fact it shows sensory issues in autism. It shows how visual thinking works. It's very accurate on that. And, and I think
2: that's
1: yes. important so people can that.
0: yeah it's great and you can run it it's you know not expensive to rent at all it's wonderful really a great movie well, the other thing I like about it you can
1: actually build the projects off of it you can put free- my actual drawings appear in that movie copies of my actual drawings
0: okay those are yours the one with okay. the scene with all the men
1: around the desk that's an actual copy okay. of the drawing that was used to build an actual real job
0: oh neat okay um, and another thing that I learned how to do, when you're weird,
1: what you do is you sell your work instead of yourself. So the way I sold the jobs is I would design a job and then I wrote about it in the cattle magazines and then some of the national livestock industry magazines. And I'd show people my drawings and I'd show people pictures of jobs. I learned to sell my work. Also I figured out a lot of backdoors into jobs. After I got that press pass, we had some national meetings that came to Phoenix. I was living in Arizona at the time. You know, I went down to Phoenix Convention Center and gotten some big national meetings that had $500 registration fees. I got in them for free. <laughs> and nice. then I got the cards from the editor of national magazines. You see, you, you, yeah. on, you need to get better at like seeing back doors things. And then oh, I'd write a God. very good article about the National Cattle Association.
0: Okay. And so for you being, it's like you're, it seems like you have this sensitivity. Um, you know, how was it for you to be in situations that were, you know, really difficult?
1: Well, it wasn't easy. And when I got out in the industry, there were some good people that helped me. There was Jim, the contractor, a former Marine Corps captain, starting a tiny concrete steel business. And he seeked me out to design facilities for him. We built jobs together. And, oh, okay. you know, he was kind of a no nonsense uh, mentor. And he, he did things like help me set up my business. I
0: mean, stuff like that that has to be done. Mm hmm. Yep. Okay. So, you know, just all sorts of things. Oh, we have a question How do critical thinking skills translate in pictures? Is there a measurable process?
1: Well, that's a hard one, that's kind of um, they. Well, critical thinking skills. Uh, one of the big issues is what is real information versus fake information. And okay, they'll, they'll, I'm not going to go into any specifics on, what's on any stuff because it's too politically sensitive. I'm not going to discuss it. But let's say, um, I. You know, the moon is made out of cream cheese. All right, just make up a little stupid example. Mm-hmm.
2: And
1: and. When you when people make a quick reaction uh, emotionally, you're more likely to fall for stuff that's fake. When you're forced to look at it and think about it, most people can tell what's fake information from good information. Where it's a, in it, where you think about it right. rather than just respond to it emotionally.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You got to use the use your cortex. It sits up on top of the emotions. The emotions are down the face of the brain. Use that thing to then up on top.
2: I mean, Think done. unless
0: it's yeah. ridiculous, but the mood's made out of mm-hmm. that just can't. Happen. So, um okay. Now, but,
1: it, it, see, the, but in critical thinking, um, you see, my mind thinks in specific examples. Okay. You know, what some? What are some specific examples of critical thinking? Okay, you might read something and you can just think, well, the just lied or the person's made it up. Now, in order to figure out some of that stuff, you have to have some knowledge in your database. Okay, if I was seven years old and somebody told me the movie's made of cream and cheese, I might believe it. I remember my dad told me when I was seven years old that a big hospital was a Wrigley's bubble gum factory, and I believed it when I was seven, years old. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't believe that now. Right.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You see, so as you get more information, but they, they, uh, you see, critical thinking, that's a very broad concept. I'd rather think about what are examples of good critical thinking. See, I'm a bottom-up thinker, so I take the bits and pieces and you know, sort things out.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. We also
1: have a lot of knowledge of uh, biology, psychology, engineering. I read some stuff. I don't know how to rubbish. Some of the stuff's too controversial stuff to, to discuss. So <laughs> we we'll just uh, talk about the moon made of cream cheese. <laughs> but that's something where a seven-year-old would believe that. Well, I would hope that somebody in high school would not believe. Right. Okay. I don't think there are enough science to realize that that's rubbish.
2: Okay.
0: Well, I mean, I was curious. One of the things you're most famous for is is this widespread impact you've had on the cattle industry. I think I read 50%. Oh, basically, what I did
1: mm-hmm. is the tendency to say, to just say, okay, like, talk about social justice, for example.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, well, that's a big, broad concept. Okay, I did something targeted. I worked on improving cattle handling facilities and how the cattle will handle. That's something targeted. OK, if you're interested in social justice, all right, let's take something targeted. You guys know, put your head around Using DNA testing to prove that somebody did not commit a crime. You see, that's something specific. Verbal thinkers overgeneralize. And I tended to go after something specific. It wasn't the whole world. It was cattle handling. See, that's something specific. Then I design a project, and then I wrote about it. But I didn't write. Oh, the industry's just evil and horrible.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I wrote about how to handle cattle correctly. I gave how-to instructions. That's what I did, and then and then I do another project, and then I write up a, stuff in a magazine on how to build that project, how to put putting just good information out there. And the other thing I find is you constantly have to go over basics. It's just like traffic. If the police weren't out there with the radar and the uh breathalyzer things imagine what the uh, freeway accident rate would be
2: mm-hmm. you
1: can't have to keep monitoring traffic yeah otherwise you're gonna have a racetrack out on the freeway well cattle handling is kind of the same thing I and mean, you constantly have to monitor how many cattle you bring up not scream at them you still have to always work on basics because people can look back into old bad practices and not realize it so when there's new people coming in, so there's always a need to talk about basics, and then and then as I add new information to it, but I just you write, um, you know, it's not abstract what I did. I mean, let's go back to the DNA thing. Well, you got a successful case, right? Where you use the DNA to show that the guy did not commit that murder. You see that specific. See, one of the problems is a lot of activists that get, they gets, it gets too uh, vague. You know, we've got to figure out how do we solve some actual problems? Like for example, I just, I just found out today we're wasting 30 to 40% of our food. That's creating methane dumps. That's pretty atrocious. Okay, now that's something that um, you could work on targeting that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You see, if you, act, if you did activism on that, you'd probably do more good than more general kind of activism. But you see, for me, nothing's abstract.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Is I that, that what you're about. doing?
0: At, at this point, are you still, like, working in that? Uh, I know you're a professor right now at Colorado State University. Well, I'm still
1: teaching my course in livestock handling, and okay. one of the things I have the students do, I want them to learn how to use scientific databases. So they can pick out a subject in animal behavior and look it up on different scientific databases. I want them to learn how to use the library online. A lot of students don't know how to do that. So, um, that's one of the things that, and that's a skill that would um, be useful in any field. Okay. And the other thing right now, the age I'm at now, is I want to help the young students. They're going to be the leaders for tomorrow. We have to solve problems, not just talk about it, not just write about it online. How do we actually fix things? How do we actually solve things? You know, it, out mm-hmm. specific things you can actually work on that are doable.
0: Okay. So you mentioned the methane gas. Is that one of the primary, like, is that? Well, that... You know, let's
1: look at the methane. Let's look at methane mitigation. One of the, we could get half our targets just by uh, repairing uh, oil field Just repairing. It. Oh, okay. okay. And mm-hmm. that's not even that expensive to do. And on some of the big stuff, you might be able to pay for it on methane capture. But you see, for me, that's not abstract. I actually see the equipment. Mm hmm. Now, I have a friend that's a chemist and works in physiology, and she goes, oil field equipment, I wouldn't understand that. Well, I looked up, you know, diagrams for some of this stuff for gas distribution, I don't know, it's not that complicated. Mm. You see, that's, that's the the mechanical mind. Mm-hmm. But I want to want to work on stuff I can actually fix. Another thing that we can fix is food waste. OK, again, that's something targeted. OK, cattle put out methane, yes, I know that. Somebody claims they could feed them a teaspoon or something and, and stop that. Uh, I'm not going to believe that quite yet. I read about that, but i got to have a lot more proof before I believe that. Mm-hmm. But you know, one of the things we got to look at on a grazing animal, some people look, them at, look at them as you know, like environment collectors. The very best grazing land in the US was originally uh, you know, grazed by bison. That's where our finest land is for growing crops. That land was made by grazing animals. You know, thirty percent of all the land mass of the world is grazing lands. We've got to raise food on, and if you do it right, you will improve the land. If you do grazing wrong, wreck land. You do it right with the right, uh, you know, pasture rotation systems, you will improve the land. I'm getting very interested in these systems. You've got some really good innovators out there that are integrating cattle and crops together. So you might raise corn, soy. Every third year, you you um, put a cover crop on there and graze some cattle on it, and integrate the cattle with the land, and then you don't have to use as much Roundup and chemicals. I'm not suggesting banning. You see, this is sort of more of a hybrid approach. Where you greatly reduce the use of this stuff. And and to make a win win situation. But it's something specific and and also it's very local. What works in one place doesn't work somewhere else you have to have extremely good local advice. But okay. well, we've got to find practical solutions for solving things.
0: Okay. So you've kind of gotten more um, broad-based, whereas you started out more. It sounds like you start you started out doing things like helping the cattle have well, a more humane handling, dipping and
1: uh, the cattle handling's gotten a whole lot better. The, the cattle industry's put out tons and tons of workshops on low-stress handling. Okay. That's gotten a whole lot better. But now at the age I'm at right now, I'm thinking about, yeah, you know, I've improved cattle handling. Um, where do cattle fit into things? And I've been learning more and more about the land. I mean, it's always good to go across disciplines. About three or four years ago, they had an agronomist come into our animal science department and talk about how, how grazing animals created the best crop land that we have in all of the U.S. And that was a big light bulb moment. Mm. You know, we got away from monoculture and get the, um, the crops and the animals together. Okay. And and we've got to figure out how to solve problems. I was reading a fascinating article today on fusion power. And I got to thinking, uh, well, there's about five different um, technologies they're working on, which which one's gonna work? I mean, let's say I'm a, okay, the big bankers of financial companies are financing this stuff. Well, how do you pick out which technology might actually work? Mhm. Well, I got to thinking, um, the one that uses liquid helium, I don't think that's going to be sustainable We'd run out of helium. Mm. That's probably not going to work. You see, because I know something about that. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's for the mathematicians to figure out how to do fusion. But if I'm going to use massive amounts of helium, that's probably not going to work. Okay. Because helium, also they'll put every MRI scanner in the
0: whole world out of
1: business. It. Mm. That'd be all this. <laughs>
0: Was there an area that you saw working? I mean, was there one of those because options? Because I think of
1: fusion stuff, I can only look at it, this is for the mathematicians to figure out, not me. But let's say you've got investors putting money into this. Um, I can't use something that they could cool it with liquid nitrogen. Well, that's a piece of cake. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, there's a, it's an element on a periodic cake. There's a finite resource was reading that this morning. Okay. And so if I was going to pick out a technology, um, they all look literally, you know, they look like stuff right out of Star Trek. They look like Star Trek, um, you know, warp drive. So they look like. You know, they look like a set out of a science fiction movie. <laughs> and which one's going to work? Boy, this is a lot of problems. Oh, man, mm-hmm. the perfect problem. No, aton- no nuclear waste. Mm-hmm. Right. why am I reading this stuff why am I reading an article in, a, in Nature magazine about fusion power because I'm really trying to figure out the future, where are cats going to fit into this no, I think grazing animals are going to fit into it because we have so much land mass mm-hmm. that can only be grazed you've got the outback of Australia half the size of the US there's not enough water in the wells to grow crops you would instantly deplete the wells, but you can put livestock. You have to be careful not to put too many. Now the grazing animal, um, I think, has got a really good future. No, there's a lot of stuff that's going to change.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. But I'm looking at um, things I've done all my life. I've improved cattle handling. Um, now right, I just look at what we have to work on maintaining cattle handling.
0: Right. Okay.
1: You have to work on maintaining, sort of like traffic. You yeah, you got to maintain it. G- well, I'll tell you right now, I was out on the big uh, I-80, I call it the Super slab, goes across the United States and um, boy, they've got GPS uh, things that tattle back to the corporate office with the trucks, let me tell you. I, uh, brand name trucks, mm-hmm. they were staying right there at 65 miles an hour in a 75 mile an hour zone, <laughs> and the GPS was back back to the office. I never saw some in light trucks. <laughs>
0: It's amazing. <laughs> um, so do you feel, cause you did so much early on, for those who are not familiar with what doc, with doc, with what Dr. Granin has done, she did make it so that um, ca- the handling of cattle um, was just more cattle humane. She...
1: Program for people that have mm-hmm. small farmers. i like got Temple Granin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals, to spread mm-hmm. small farm. There's a lot of the really innovative stuff with combining crops and animals, is going to be innovated by small producers.
0: Do you feel you like know, that is more humane? Like that there's humane aspects of that for animals coming? That- well,
1: it has down to management. We get into the whole thing about big versus small. Big's not bad. Big is fragile. And when I brought that up five years ago, people thought it was kind of crazy. Well, during COVID, it demonstrated big is fragile. All the uh, supply chain disruptions and things like that. Now, the thing about big is when it works, it, you can have a very humane, large meatpacking plant. You can have really good food safety there. You can have it work just great. Mm-hmm. But when you break it, you're really in trouble. You see, when it's working, yes, it's cheaper because you have economy of scale. Now, if I have a more distributed supply chain, I it's more robust, it doesn't break as easily, but it will be more expensive. You're always gonna have that trade-off. I don't care whether it's meat or whether it's clothing. Well, oh, that's another industry, that's really wasteful, it's clothing. Boy. <laughs> okay, we won't get into that right now. But that's an industry that could have a lot of improvements. And right now, a lot of farmers are trying to put in small slaughter plants, and this is something we need to do. And there's a lot of bureaucracy making it difficult too. Bureaucracy.
0: They're trying to because put in more what? I'm sorry, I didn't catch little that. Little,
1: tiny, small uh, processing plants.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Like, do eight, 20 cattle a week I'm talking very small. Okay. And then that farmer would sell right directly to consumer. Okay. And and you have a more distributed supply chain, it will be more expensive.
0: It, what uh, is the reason for that? Is that well, to be... all
1: right, let's just look at it this way. Electric power bill. Oh, you have a big place and you divide up the power bill between a thousand cattle, the per the of electricity used per head goes down. All right, let's look at feed costs. If I am buying feed by the train car load, it's cheaper than if I buy a whole bunch of individual bags that are like horse feed. It's called economy of scale. See, if i buy if i buy feed by the train car mode it's 30 percent cheaper see that's your economy of scale and that's true for all kinds of things
0: okay so and do and you I, mm-hmm. if,
1: and, okay. so something that's smaller it's going to be more expensive but the advantage you have if you distribute your supply chain in the more smaller producers when something goes wrong uh you still
2: have, you know, you'll still have meat or you'll still have some
0: other product that that you want. Okay. And, you know, I should probably just throw in, you know, for those that are in the chat that are, um, you know, maybe not, obviously this is the animal animal communication show, but I think it's important to talk about um, steps. You know, Dr. Grandin has found ways to improve an industry that traditionally was horrendous in the way that they've treated animals. She's oh, done things the,
1: to... In the 80s, the uh, the hand of cattle, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And one of the things that improves things is when you have big buyers insisting on standards. And I wrote guidelines for standards. And when you have big companies enforcing these standards, then things change. But you need to have clear standards. You cannot say handle cattle properly. What does handle cattle properly mean? Mm-hmm. They don't put signs up on the highway that say, drive at a reasonable speed. You don't see that on a sign. Right, right. Number on it. And then the police have a device to measure how fast a car goes. You see, that's an objective standard. And I was just out on the, uh, the big highway that you know, goes the country. I never saw so many plane trucks. Because the buyers have electronics on those trucks. Tells the office how fast they're going.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: It's amazing the behavior of the trucks changed. I couldn't believe it. And this equipment just in the last five years has become really common. I hadn't been out on that road for a while. It was just amazing. A lot of brand name trucks, I'd follow them for 10 miles. They didn't deviate out over, of over 65. I just mm-hmm. did just, just a couple of days ago.
0: Yeah, so, so, I mean, what Dr. Grant has been able to do is to take this industry that was just absolutely horrendous, and she's been able to incorporate these different things, like um, finding, she was able to use the detail-orientated mind that she has because of her autism to be able to see things the way animals saw them and make well, it less stressful. I get asked all, and,
1: the, all the time if cattle are afraid of getting slaughtered. I can tell you what they're afraid of. They're afraid of the dark. And if you put a light on the entrance of a chute, they'll go in. And where you move a light to get reflections to go away, they Mm -hmm. will go in. Uh, That's what they're afraid of. And if you look at stress hormone levels, Mm -hmm. the stress hormone levels uh, in a slaughterhouse and in just a vaccinating chute, they range in high to low, depending on how good the handling is. Mm -hmm. But they're the same because that's another thing I've looked at. Uh, They're very into what they see, some piece of string hanging down or a a reflection on a puddle that's
0: wiggling. That would make them stop. Because you would literally crawl like a cow. Like you would literally get in there. that's
1: what I did. I'd get in the chute and see what the animals were seeing. And uh, in this book on Temple Grandin's Guide to Working with Farm Animals, and animals also get afraid of, of novel objects, something new mm-hmm. that just suddenly appears. We did an interesting experiment with horses. My student, Megan Morgan, did an experiment where she walked young fillies and colts past a child's plastic playset. That's probably about a, in a four foot by four foot by four foot cube
2: mm-hmm. and
1: had a slide and swing on it. And she did this at a slow walk and she walked the horses by this. Until the horse no longer reacted. She measured stopping and raising her head up and the nostrils went. Yeah, There was no way we were going to do this gallop. And then mm. when the playset was rotated, the horse um, thought it was something new. Now think about it. This stapler was the slide on the playset.
2: Okay.
1: Now when I turn it, you see how it looks like a mm. different object. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When You turn it, it looks like a different object. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if that had been done at a gallop, somebody would have been dumped.
2: Mm-hmm. And then I
1: repeated the experiment just informally with a large green plastic chair at a horse class. And we had the rider. just walk by it until they no longer stopped, no longer looked at it, rotated that chair 90 degrees. There were 67 horses there and three came to a hard stop. Mm-hmm. And that would have been bad at the gallop. I made darn sure we only did it at a walk.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay
1: and we actually got a paper online about the rotation of a complex novel object and you can look it up on google scholar just came out
0: and this this was all part of like i had mentioned at the beginning when i started out as an animal communicator and was um kind of trying to hone my craft and taking courses um to learn how to teach it um the uh, dr grannon's book animals in translation in particular was one of the books that was uh we were advised to read so you know i was curious um how do you see or, or what were things about that book that you really think are important that apply to people's house pets i mean obviously you have all this experience well with let's cattle. look at house
1: pets um they i think a lot of dogs are afraid of a lot of stuff i did a big zoom call about a year ago 400 people that had dogs and cats and the number one question that came in was my dog's afraid of the bath." And I think part of the problem is dogs don't get exposed to enough things, so they're just afraid of everything.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And in another book I have on animals make us human, I um, animals make us human, I talk yeah. about the animals Jack jackpens <laughs> uh, Jack get emotional systems. And animals need to get exposed to more things. It's just like some of these autistic kids. They're not getting out and getting exposed to enough stuff, and then they're afraid of everything
2: yeah mm-hmm.
1: i think a lot of dogs um, uh you know are afraid now of course during COVID, um dogs had a chance to be with their owner 24 7 and there's going to be some problems yes. with yeah. getting the dogs to, to tolerate person being at work again yeah because one of my friends has a dog that was just fine with um being home when she's at work well they went on a two-week camping trip camp where the dog was with them 24 7 they got back, she went back to work, and the dog ate a door. Like, oh, chew. my it. gosh. He never had done anything like this. She chewed the whole edge of the door, it had to be replaced. Wow. And and this is a dog that, for years, when she was at work, was just fine.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I suggested that she's gradually um, getting used to more and more times, but he actually had wrecked the door. It had to wow. be replaced.
0: And it's dangerous for him, too. Suggesting door. Right. Yeah. Yeah, there I have a lot of clients had, these issues, too. Been
1: just with them 24-7 when they were in the camper.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm seeing that, too. A lot of people contact me about going back to work. Um, and you talked in your book about PTSD and fear um, with dogs. And... Um, you, well, you relate, you relate sort of the autistic mind and, and some of the things that you've experienced to what animals, um, the way that they experience the world, and I think that's really interesting for people. Um, well, the
1: thing is, a visual thinker also fears my main emotion, mm-hmm. a lot of that anxiety is not controlled with antidepressant medication,
2: mm-hmm. but a
1: huge amount of anxiety, and I talk about that in my book, Thinking in Pictures. Mm-hmm. And, and I would uh, you know if you have a lot of things I recommend reading that but the thing is it's it's, um, it's a sensory based world and sometimes I find it un- like I'll go into a place and put a light on the entrance of a chute and I almost can't believe how well it works especially mm-hmm. in indoor facilities it doesn't work as well out in outdoor facilities indoor facilities
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. it really works, Just Duct- take the
0: light on the entrance of a chute and they go in easier See, that's yeah, it's incredible. Just that little change, how much a difference it makes to animals. They don't like walking into the
1: dark, and they also don't like walking from like real sunny, bright into a dark building because you get kind of a dark movie theater cinema. Yeah. And they don't like that. And then if you put a, open a door up on the other side of the building, so you see through it. Yep. You know, then they'll go in. And I just got down and looked at what they were looking at, but that was obvious to me because i a visual thinker. But if you're a verbal thinker and thinks in words, you, you would say, well, why was, why, why was I doing that? And when I first started doing that in my 20s, I did not know that other people just thought words. I simply did not know. Right.
0: Them. Yeah. That's, see, that's the thing. To you, it's just sort of, I think, like, obvious it's how you how you think. But because of that book, especially Animals in Translation, people, you know, somebody just made a comment in the in the chat. Something that we see is so simple makes a huge difference when you see it through the lens of an animal. And that's so true. I mean that's um that's that's kind of the whole basis. The whole reason we do animal communication is to help people see things through the lenses of the animals. Well, and even yeah thought, I'm sorry to interrupt this oh, is no, something go ahead. Where I a problem with
1: the timing. That's still something I have a problem with. Um, oh, no, you're fine. The thing you have to do to understand animals get away from verbal language. What is it seeing, smelling, mm-hmm. seeing? What is it sensing? It's a sensory based world, not a verbal, word based world. And yeah. those senses are associated with emotions. And in Animals Make Us Human, I talk about uh, uh, pants-ship pack, pack, emotional systems. You know, all animals and people have them. You've got fear. Then you've got anger. Then you've got separation stress. And separation distress, like uh, uh, the dog is home alone chewing up the house, that's a different emotion than fear. Then you have seek, that's the urge to explore. Another thing that's a problem in a lot of the scientific literature, the neuroscientists will call it seek, but some other behavior scientists will call it exploration drive. Same thing. Or you'll see some papers will talk about bold versus shy ants. Well, that's the same as low and high fear, bold and shy. Or a high seek or a low seek is the same as a high exploration and a low exploration. Mm-hmm. Also, you might see the trait of curiosity also would go in a the, in the seek category. Then, mm-hmm. of course, you have a sex drive. You've got Mother Young Nurturing, that's the oxytocin system, and you've got play. And these are emotional
0: systems and all people and animals of God. Yeah, and just thinking about it from, the, from that perspective really helps you to understand it from the animal's perspective. And just being able to think, you know, I was reviewing your book, even though I'd read it years ago, and I, I've looked at it through the years, but I was reviewing it, preparing for an interview, and it was reminding me how much it does matter to my dog when she goes from the outdoor outdoors into the indoors. she really does. It really affects her, you know, going from like the, the light outside into the dimmer inside and really thinking about that, like how much that would bother me. You know, if it was that much of a um, transition for me, um, we really have to, you know, it really makes you think, you know, how much their world is, sometimes like we're oblivious to the things that they're dealing with and the stress that that can cause them. And that's what you brought through your book and through the various books. And, well, and you no, know,
1: the most simple thing you can do to help your dog when you go to the vet is make sure the first experience is the puppy goes to that experience like some traits. Um, it's very important that an animals first experience, any animal was a new person, a new place like a vet clinic, maybe mm-hmm. a horse, a new trailer, is a good first experience mm. because of that first experience is bashing your head on it. You're gonna be afraid of it. Mm-hmm. Also, help out at the veterinarian. Uh, give your your puppy a non-slip floor to stand on. You know, slipping. And the same thing true for cattle, They need a non-slip floor to stand on. Okay. Also, you need to teach puppies to tolerate having the paws held and manipulated. And when they when they let you manipulate the paws and they don't try to pull back, you give them a treat. And then nail trims are gonna be no big deal. Right. Okay. You know, if you, te- you see then going to the veterinarian will be fun rather than horrible mm-hmm. because lots of times they're not reacting to the shot, getting a vaccine, or whatever; they're reacting to how they're held or the slight number on the table. So you might want to get your dog used to a bath mat that you bought with a rubber back on it, and then when you go to the vet clinic, put that on the table and put your dog on that, and you get not the floor. hmm
2: Yeah.
1: Know why. because the vet says, "Well, I'm busy. I don't have time to." Wash that mat, oh, and I just suggest having the, having the dog owner bring Maddie in. And,
0: that's a great and idea.
1: A, on the floor. And the same thing yeah. with cattle. They don't slipping on the floor.
0: Yeah. Well, that was like your your dipping machine, right? Where you had the steps oh, and great.
1: then. And having it so when they went Flea in, dipping. it was on the floor and it worked perfectly. And then, unfortunately, that scene with that metal plate in there killed the cow. That actually did happen. Oh, that was awful. The way it showed it, and we took the metal plate out, and it finally worked again. And it was the foreman that did that.
0: Oh, yeah, that was heartbreaking. Yeah, Dr. Granin had designed something where the cattle could step down into the bath, which is like a flea dipping bath, well, and, and they're
1: they immersed. Going in, yeah, and the movie shows it absolutely accurately. And the and the drawing for that entrance actually in the movie you could up. It's movie.
0: yeah, and somebody went and they covered it. They put a well, they put a sheet of metal over of the metal. rough concrete. but
1: then the cattle just slid it. and then what happened is it flipped over backwards in that narrow dipping vat and breathed in water and it killed. Oh, you must that. have just I been. out there, I was just furious. Yeah, awful, I... and and we took that metal plate out, and then it worked. Ugh. yeah, I know. I that that was bad, but I think the thing I'm working on improving things is figuring something target. Okay, designing cattle handling equipment and getting and teaching people cattle handling, that's something targeted. The other thing that was really important in making what I did effective is writing about it. And over a whole lot of years, I've had to write a lot of articles with very similar stuff. Because there's new people coming in all the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And 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 instead of criticizing, I was taught a long time ago, sell your own product, don't bash the competition saying, well, how horrible those people are the way they handle those cattle, all right, this is how you do it. And then I worked on training buyers to evaluate things. Boy, that, I saw more change in 1999 when we implemented the McDonald's audits. And boy, the big plants, they had to repair all the busted stuff they had in there. Hmm. They had to start managing them. And I saw more change in 1999 when we had three big buyers inspecting them than I had seen in my 25-year career Prior to that, big fires can make change, but we've got to do sensible things. All right, let's look at methane coming off of you know gas distribution equipment. That can be measured with satellites. Okay. I've been learning more, more about that. And then you can have the four maps, and you can publish the maps. You, know, you put the satellite images over maps, they're real easy to read. And, and start working on reducing that. But, again, that's something targeted. It's also something from an engineering standpoint you can actually do well. Okay. I think another thing we've got to be working on is food waste. That's a bunch of methane coming out of dumps.
0: Mm-hmm. We're wasting
1: trusting amounts of food.
0: Okay.
1: You know, I like to work on stuff that's targeted
0: rather and do you, than
1: just, oh, in general, everything's just horrible.
0: And is that is your way of doing that through your students, like um... – to work on this well, now they, is that where you're at
1: students and and i have three students now that are professors so i'm very very happy about wow that. okay and uh, like lily one of my students she's um i'm um, doing a lot of the same kind of stuff working on on things
0: okay but so you're teaching you better, the future me, to to oh future.
1: yeah yeah and i've been doing a lot of talks going around and we need to just we have to figure out how do we actually fix not not uh, just complain about something that's horrible.
0: Do you find and, your students... Have something that's
1: relatively targeted. Okay, mm-hmm. like on the social justice thing, I'm going to use the example of a DNA testing to show that this person did not commit mm-hmm. that murder. Then how do you do that successfully, write about it. Then write about how to do it rather than just complaining about how horrible everything is.
0: Are you finding this your thing? students want yeah. this? They want to change... Oh, the, yeah. Coming in like that's their mindset. Well, that's,
1: the that's the reason why they're in this. They want to um they want to improve things. Okay. But we also have to I'm very concerned today we've got a lot of young people growing up totally removed from the world of practical. They don't know how their stuff gets it's over here in shipping containers. mean students didn't know what a shipping container was. You know, prior to COVID. Now they do know what it is. Okay. You know, they everyone thinks everybody everything's coming out of a computer you got warehouses full of computers that are running stuff we do online. you got warehouses full of computers. You've got gigantic warehouses. So when you buy things online, mm-hmm. there's this huge physical
0: infrastructure.
1: That a lot of people sort of aren't even aware that it exists.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah. They think it kind of magics here from the computer. Well, it's not magic. Yeah. <laughs> Very yeah, interesting. The problem
1: is that COVID made people sick. And, and right now we have a huge shortage of electronic chips. Started with a fire in Japan, burned up a critical factory. Mm-hmm. That's an example Big it's fragile. And then other factories got slowed down due to COVID. We're right now building factories to build electronic chips. They're gonna be more expensive. Instead of being 50 cents a piece, they're eighty-two dollars a piece.
0: Mm. Okay, interesting.
1: And, and uh, yeah, big, it's fragile. Well, not good all. You know the old thing, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm, right. It's basically that.
0: Yeah. Well, this has been fascinating. And I I have so much I would love to talk to you about, but I know you have to go. I know you have. I want to be yeah, yeah, you respectful. Going
1: to spend my like, hotel
0: at night and get
1: up three because I'm parking. Oh, gosh. Oh.
0: Parking. Oh. gosh. It's, uh, Thanksgiving. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, um, right. I,
1: don't have, to, I don't have to park in the... Park in the uh, lot way out on the edge of the airport. Wait for a bus to get me. I just looked up online. I said you need an extra 45 minutes to get in from the outline. Oh, yeah! I just (laughs) looked at that
0: map before I got on here. Oh geez, is that you go at a Denver airport? I know that one is. Denver airport. That's That's right. right. Denver airport. I actually did my acupressure class through in Denver at Tallgrass Institute, and I was like. Amazed how long it took me to get from parking my car. Just the whole, it was a lot. It was, it, it was well, it's stressful.
1: Hard. if I'm one of the far out gates, it takes me half an hour yeah. to walk off the plane, walk through the terminal, it's a lot. and get on the shuttle and get out to the, you know, the, the more close in lot.
0: Uh-huh.
1: Get out the gate where I have to pay for the parking. That takes half an hour. I can't it's, do it any faster.
0: It's a lot, yeah.
1: Just to get from getting off the plane to my car going out the uh, where i paid for the parking mm-hmm. 30 minutes uh, as fast as i can do it
0: gosh yeah that's a big it's a big airport yeah well yeah so we don't we don't want to keep you but we really appreciate you being okay. here i know so many people are excited to have you here and i'm sure people are going to catch this too on the replay if this is by the way for those of you if you if you came in and um you know, benefited from this at all, please do. We appreciate you subscribing um, and liking and you hit the, you know, but Dr. Grinnan, thank you so much. It's really been an honor to have you here from, you know, learning about you many, many, many years ago when I started out to, to following your work and and to have you here tonight. Great to be
1: here. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so so much.
1: um, I guess I'll sign off now and thank you for having
0: me. Yes. Have a good trip. I will. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Okay. Good night, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving.